Hey friends, it's Jay. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of The Things I Should Have Said. I'm a pastor. I just finished giving a talk on finding God's will for your life at Friends Church in Orange, and there's a bunch of stuff left unsaid and a bunch of stuff I probably shouldn't have said. This is a podcast for all those things. It's post-church, post-sermon, post-pastor, post-script. Before we get into talking about all the things I should have said and probably the things that need to be said or taken back, I'll talk about that in a minute, uh, can I tell you about what happened this past week? I had a few things that worked for me and then a few things that just worked me. And the first thing I want to tell you about, I thought I was going to get worked. Uh, I traveled on Christmas Day. That seems like a terrible idea. Uh, I've got a toddler at home. And so we woke up early on Christmas morning and we did all the presents and she was pumped because she's a toddler. And so that was really fun. And then we took an Uber to LAX and we flew to Idaho. And I thought it was going to be the worst idea in the world, but it turned out to be awesome. Traveling on Christmas Day is the best thing you could possibly do. There was absolutely no traffic on the way to the airport. And then once we got to the airport, there was almost no line at security. And the TSA workers were happy. I don't know why they were happy. Uh, I was thinking, hey, it's Christmas Day. They're all going to be angry. Maybe they were getting paid triple overtime or something to be there. I don't know. I also don't know. We're in a government shutdown right now. I don't even know if these people are getting paid. Uh, Nobody gave me the specifics of who gets paid and who doesn't get paid during this time. But they were happy. Maybe it's because there wasn't a whole zoo of people giving them ridiculous commands all day long. And so they were nice real people. And then we got on the plane, there were empty seats on the plane, and it was a smooth flight. So we started off our Christmas in Orange County with beautiful sunshine, then got on a plane, flew to Idaho, and had a white Christmas. It was awesome. And it was fun getting to spend some time with family. My wife's sister and her family just moved up to Idaho. And then my wife's parents are moving up to Idaho this month. And so we haven't seen them in six months. And so it was really cool for my daughter to get to play with her cousins and, you know, being a dad, you love those things. You love watching your kid having a good time. So that was cool. Got to go snowboarding, which was awesome. I ditched everybody in the group and just spent the whole day by myself, pretended like there was miscommunication. But But man, it was good for my soul to get out in nature and just have fun. It was such a good week. And I honestly had a great time hanging out with my in-laws. Now, I know all the jokes about in-laws and yada, yada. I have been married for 15 years. And there's been some times where in-laws are difficult. But this past week was awesome. It was good to get a rest. uh, And then I had to come back to work. Shortly thereafter, Sunday showed up. I got on stage, talked about Jesus, said some stuff, and left a whole lot of stuff on set. So let's talk. So all week I've been thinking about if it's possible to know God's will for your life. And the point I tried to make is that God's will for you is to look more like Jesus every day. Now, what I should have said was, no, God does not have a specific, precise plan for your life. Uh, But I thought that would bum everybody out, so I didn't quite go that route. But I I tried to show them that uh, God had a bigger plan. It's maybe a little more general plan to make us all look more like Jesus. We'll all have our own brand of that, I guess you could say. But overall, he's he's got a universal will that everyone who trusts in him uh, would, under the power of his Holy Spirit, be sanctified to look more and more like Jesus every day. And 
I didn't want to come down too heavy on people that feel like God has a plan for every single day and every decision that they have to make. I'll get to that next week. Um, But I do agree with James McDonald, who said, nothing good comes from believing God has a specific, precise, individual will. And it's not in any way biblical. So I read that quote and I thought, yeah, that's, that's true. We can get into a lot of uh, kind of weird stuff when we think that God's got a very specific, precise individual will for our individual lives. But we do know that God wants us to look more like Jesus and he's willing to work really hard to get us there. And we have the ability to cooperate with the work of the Holy Spirit in our life, or we can fight against it. We can cultivate our hearts so that we're able to uh, accept that growth more easily, or we can harden our hearts. We can slow down the work, but ultimately, God will prevail. God is faithful to the end. God always succeeds in his plans, and he has a plan for everyone whose faith is in Jesus that we will look more like Jesus. So yes, he does have a will for your life, and yes, it is good. It is better than anything you'd ever ask or imagine. And yes, God knows the beginning from the end. But no, he does not care uh, what college you go to. That's a little tough, right? Okay, so what I mean by that, of course, of course, God cares about you. So he cares about all the little details. But I think what I'm trying to say is, look, if you decide to go to Berkeley or Biola, Everybody knows Berkeley. Nobody knows Biola. Biola is a little local Christian college around here. Uh, No matter what, if you go to Berkeley or Biola, God can do his sanctifying work on your heart. He can use those schools to work for your good, to conform you more like the image of Jesus Christ. For instance, I went to a small Christian local college and my time there, God really used that to form my character, my heart, my values, my perspective, uh, my priorities. And so absolutely small Christian universities, God uses that to sanctify us, make us look more like Jesus. But I also had a friend, graduated high school the same year, and he decided to go to UCSD. And uh, it was because he decided to go there that really his faith was strengthened and his character was really Built because he grew up in a Christian family and it's all he ever knew. And it wasn't even really his choice to go to church or to have faith. But when he went to UCSD, he had a decision to make. It would be way too easy just to follow with the crowd there. And so he had to decide, is this faith really mine? And he decided, yes, he decided he really did believe in Jesus, trust Jesus, and wanted to follow Jesus. And so that really ignited his faith and made him grow spiritually through those years. I knew plenty of people that went to small Christian colleges who uh, they really fought against God's work in their life. And they didn't cooperate with the work that God was trying to do in their life. They didn't cultivate uh, a soul and a heart that was receptive to it. And they really slowed down their growth. I know a lot of people that went to big secular schools and same thing. They didn't cooperate with God's work in their life. And so they really stunted and slowed down their spiritual growth. And so what I'm trying to say is, it's not like if you decide the right college, then God can do his work. God uses all things. That's what it tells us in Romans 8, 28. God uses all things for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purposes and have been predestined to be conformed to the likeness of, of his son. And so because of that, there's this great freedom 
There's a great freedom in Christ. And I, I kind of like that. So there's one point where I would like to know all the answers. I would love if God just wrote me a letter and told me exactly what I was going to be doing. And when I had a big decision, I could just go to the Bible, open it up, and I'd find a sentence that told me exactly what I should do. But it's not there. And I kind of actually like that because uh, I don't like being micromanaged. I like the adventure of life. I like knowing that uh, God allows me to participate enough in life that I get to make some decisions. Uh, that of course it's better to uh, trust him in that decision-making process, to turn to him and look for his wisdom. And again, I'm gonna talk about that more next week. But as I was just laying down this foundational idea that God's will is for you to look more like Jesus every day, that allows a lot of freedom on where we go to school, the jobs we take, where we live, even the people that we marry. So I don't know about you, you might disagree with me on this one, but I don't even think that God has a specific person that you were meant to marry. Um, I don't even think all of us are meant to get married, and we might want to ask God about that before we jump into a lifelong commitment. But what I'm saying is, I know a lot of people feel like there's a soulmate, like there's the one, and I don't know if God works that way. Actually, I don't think that he works that way. And it's interesting, because I've got a a four-year-old daughter, and I'm already praying for her husband-to-be if she decides to get married. Uh, but I'm praying for character traits, right? Kind of the stuff that I talked about today with my church, the, the things that, yes, God, it's his will. He wants to make us compassionate and patient and kind. He wants to make us truthful and trustworthy. He wants to make us um, you know, perseverant and to keep our values in line and focused on the right thing. He wants all those things. And that's what I would want for my daughter in marriage. And I think, so God, yes, wants us to marry somebody that will be uh, good to us, that would treat us as Jesus would treat us. So yes, there, but the exact specific person, I don't think so. I completely agree with Dallas Willard when he says the most important thing in your life is not what you do. It's who you become because that's what you take into eternity. And that's what really matters. And so that was the point that I was trying to get across. And as I was preparing, and even as I was delivering the message, I had this feeling of, man, I've got a long way to go. Because I challenged everybody to shift their focus from the things that they're doing to who they're becoming. And I so quickly lose sight of that. And it's so interesting. Every time that I prepare for a message, it's like, God just um, runs a clinic on me. He turns me into an example that I typically don't like to, to share from stage. And so I didn't talk about this from stage, but uh, we're in a renovation project right now in the church and it went really well, but now it's just dragging on. And there's a few things that just haven't gotten done yet. And they drive me nuts. I just want to get all of the construction finished, get all the permits in place so that we can do all this great stuff. And all my goals that I have for the church can be realized and accomplished if we could only finish this construction. And as I'm talking to somebody on my team about this, they just stopped me and said, hey, Jay, maybe there's something bigger going on here. Maybe there's hearts involved here and all the different people that are involved in this project. Maybe God is using this project to help bring them somewhere. And I'm like, oh, right, right. Yeah. Oh, like the message I'm going to be bringing this Sunday, like everything that I'm supposed to be talking about, I should actually think about that. I should actually have that perspective. And it just kind of slapped me upside the head and made me realize, man, I have a long way to go. I want to focus on who I'm becoming, but I'm so 
goal oriented and I'm always driven to what I'm doing. So as I was preparing for this message, I had to shift my focus and I had to start setting my own personal being goals, like uh, who I want to be, who I want to become. And my top being goal for 2019 is that I want to be more open, which is a nice way of saying I want to be less defensive. And uh, I know that the person that bears the brunt of that the most is my wife, right? Because she's the one uh, that gets my self-defensiveness the most. And it's got to be the uh, least enjoyable for her. And so I want to grow in that area for myself. I also want to grow for her. But really, I'm in this point in life where I just, I'm longing for deep connection with the people that I love the most. And I'm just noticing that because of my defensiveness, I shut down some of those connections. And so I want to work on that for myself so that I can enjoy these relationships. Um, And because it affects my wife so much, I was afraid to tell her. Because once I tell her that, then uh, that's really vulnerable because she can leverage that against me. Now, my wife is a wonderful woman, and why would I ever imagine that she would do that? Well, have you ever been married? Because sometimes it's just scary. So I worked up the courage, and I told her, I said, Nat, uh, this year, my goal for the entire year, I'm going to work so hard, I want to be less defensive. And her response to me was phenomenal. She just said to me, uh, okay, I'll be really kind and I'll help you with that. And I thought, man, that is, that's incredible. And then we were driving and so we just kept driving. Uh, and then I was telling that story on stage today during our second service, which my wife just happened to attend. And as I said that out loud, I just broke down crying. I, I knew it was a big deal when she said it to me. I knew like, wow, I've got an awesome wife. But I think in the context, because I just talked to my church for so long about how important it is to focus on who we're becoming. And then I, I realized what a gift God has given given me in a wife who wants to help me become the man that God created me to be and who is also willing for years, we've been married for 15 years, for years to sit by and even in my imperfection to still tolerate me. And then when I finally admit it and say I want to work on it, instead of her just celebrating that and uh, telling me how difficult it's been all these years of how defensive I get, instead she's just so gracious and says, I'll be kind. I want to help you. That blew me away. So here I am on stage. I'm breaking down, crying. And there's been times and times I'm, I can get weepy a little bit, but I can always recover from it. But this time I had a really hard time finishing my sentence. And if any of you fear public speaking, uh, the fear is real. There is nothing quite like crying on stage and having a tough time pulling it together. But that happened today. And hopefully... Hopefully everybody in my congregation is gracious like my wife is and kind and will uh, give me a pass on that one. Also, hopefully there's a a few good friends of mine in this church that will make fun of me a little bit because that's always good for the heart too. Uh, But I just realized, man, once you start setting goals about who you want to become, that's vulnerable. Because when you set goals about what you want to do, you can... You can achieve it. You can forget about it. Nobody's really watching. But when you start talking about who you want to be, that's straight down to your identity. And that's vulnerable and that's hard. But we all know that it's more about who you are than what you're doing. Or we all at least know that it's more about 
who you're doing things with than what you're doing, right? Like I think about my wife, the reason I knew I wanted to marry her is because I would sit in traffic with her and have a great time. I live in Southern California. We sit in a lot of traffic and usually it's quite annoying. But whenever my girlfriend at the time was in the car with me, I didn't care how long we were stuck in traffic. And then the crazy thing is we've been married for 15 years and we were just stuck in traffic a couple months ago and we were having the greatest conversation. And I just thought, man, I don't want to sit in traffic with anyone else but her because it really matters who you're with, not what you're doing. And so I want to be the type of person that she wants to be stuck in traffic with as well. I want to be the type of person that at work, people want to be on a team with me, uh, that friends want to confide in, all of that stuff. And so I really do want to focus on what I'm becoming, not just what I'm doing, but it's hard. It's really hard. So the one last thing I got to say is I think we can all relax because Matthew 6:33 tells us, seek first the kingdom of God and then all these other things that you're worried about. God will add them to you. And so today I'm just trying to just slow down, take a breath, relax, know that God's got me, that he's working in my heart. He's working in your heart. He's helping us using all things to help us become better, to become more like Jesus. So as long as I just keep my focus on the kingdom, we're going to be okay. It's going to be good. And I just think about my mother-in-law. So we just had a week with her. And to be honest, there were times... I don't know, 10 years ago, where I was not looking forward to having a week with my mother-in-law. But now she's an absolute delight. And she has been through all sorts of stuff. She's have all sorts of reasons to have hangups in life. And that is to be expected. But in the last five years of her life, she has grown tremendously as a person. And she has gone from being difficult to being around to being a delight to be around. I watched so much tension between my wife and her just completely dissipate. And I've watched as in these last five years, God has used everything in her life, working together to good, to make her more compassionate, make her more open. I'm hoping to follow in her footsteps. I've seen how she has changed in the very area that I hope to change in. And for her, it was actually suffering that brought about the most positive change in her life. She was diagnosed with cancer five years ago. It's been a tough battle. And through that process, although the health has been up and down, her soul and her heart has just gotten stronger and stronger. She has let go of a lot of things. She's adopted new principles, new perspectives, new values, and it makes all the difference. And so she really serves as an inspiration to me. And I'm hoping that 2019, as I set my goals, that it'll be more about becoming than doing. Let's do this together. Send me an email. What do you think is still left unsaid on this subject? Do you have any questions, opinions? But whatever it is, I'd like to help you out by giving you this one idea. When you set goals, don't just set goals about what you're going to do or not do, what you're going to start or what you're going to quit, but set a goal about what you want to become. Maybe you even start with the goal that you want to do something and then ask yourself the question, okay, what kind of person do I need to be in order to accomplish that? And then take it one step further. Think about, let's say you were actually able to accomplish that goal. What type of person would you need to be to handle the success well? 
And I think if for every one goal that we set in our lives about what we want to do, if we set two goals of what type of person do I need to be to get there and what type of person do I need to be to handle that success, man, we then will be on track to keeping our focus on who we're becoming more than what we're doing. And we'll be on track to be cooperating with God's will for our life, which is to make us look more like his son, Jesus Christ. If you'd like this episode, please help me out by leaving a review on iTunes and subscribing to this podcast and tune in every other week. Also, check out my YouTube channel for weekly inspiration to become fully alive. Stay in touch and follow me on Instagram or come visit me in person at my church. And if you'd like to hear the sermon we deconstructed today, go to friends.church. Well, there it is, the things I should have said. I'm going to need to do this again next week. Count on it.